Hi, and we're back at the Connecticut Library Association Conference, and we have Alice Knapp from the Ferguson Library in Stanford, right? Stanford, Connecticut? Yeah. And our return guest who has probably the most downloads of an episode of anybody on the podcast, Scott Jar- Jarzenbeck. I always stumble on it when I, I'm on mic. Oh, you did good. And he's now at the Fairfield Library, right? In Fairfield, Connecticut? Oh, that is correct. See that? I didn't get it wrong this time. No. So today, our keynote speaker at the conference... Um, his name was John Trachka, I think his name was, and he's a he talks about library advocacy. And one thing that he that was brought up was uh, the idea of uh, imposter syndrome. So, in terms of like our own mental health at work, you know, I know I feel like I'm like, wait, they're listening to me. Like, why are they listening to me? I'm just some dope who plays with a 3D printer. So, it, I don't know how you guys feel about that too. If it comes in, because for me it comes in waves, but I think it. It's something that's in the profession that we all feel like, wait, why, how did I get here? Am I fooling everybody? That kind of thing. It's something that I don't, it's, it's something that I suffered from early in my career. Um, and people are always surprised because I do, when I present myself professionally, I do try to push a little bit more confidence. But when I was at the Albany Public Library, I did a lot of executive coaching. Because I was relatively early in my career when I took that position. And I, what I learned in that is that's a lot of inward thinking. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's you're making your library or advocating for your library or sharing your library message or running your library. You're making it about you. And once I kind of learned to stop making it about me and realizing I have a job to do, I'm going to do that job. Um, and if I'm finding myself uncomfortable in situations, then I need to go out and do a little bit of research either on organizational theory or, um, you know, find someone who's been in the field longer, uh, another director, and reach out to them and, and ask them questions. And, you know, I, not to say I don't suffer from it still, but I've learned that that's an inside voice and also it's indicating you need to work on something. And so that's either doing my own research and working on those things and, and reading about it and spending my time on it or you know, like in Connecticut, I was just saying, I've only been here a year. I have some amazing colleagues who I feel like if I'm not, we had a book challenge, I reached out to people. I didn't feel like I was strong in it, so I reached out to colleagues, had some colleagues that reached out to me, and used that feeling as an opportunity to say, I need to find sources to make myself better at it and take a better road. I think I'd agree with you that the imposter syndrome is just that insight chatter and you just have to put it down. Um, Recently, we've been doing a lot of work um, with Dr. Livingston's book, The Conversation, which is all about, you know, how to become, in my my interpretation, how to become an anti-racist organization. But in talking to him at, at one point, I was saying how important it was for a library as an institution to really pay attention that we make sure we have the diverse voice there. And he came back and he said, as a library, as a, you have a lot of power by what you collect. And so I, I take that as a positive that I can't be an imposter. I have a sacred trust now. And just last week we did some work with the Lenape Center out of New York City. And it, it was the same thing. They said to us, Our, you're working with us. You're as a library, as an institution, and you have the responsibility to make sure you held history correctly, that it's important that you work with us. And so now I'm taking that. I can't be an imposter because I have a really important job in it, and that's part of that sacred trust. 
That's a great perspective. I mean, to, to take both of their points and find maybe not a weakness, but maybe something that you grew up with that makes you feel that way or less self-confident than you should be. Uh, finding resources from your colleagues or from people that have been there to, to learn what you need to learn to get better at doing the job that you feel you know, self-confident about. I think that's a great, a great perspective. Yeah. And one thing I learned in some of my hobbies is you don't want to be the best person in the room. You don't want to be smartest the person, smartest right, person exactly. in the room. Um, so sometimes that imposter syndrome might actually be you saying to yourself, wow, I'm surrounded by some really great people. And then that should be an indication like, all right, time to not talk as much. Time to pull out the notebook and start taking some notes and seeing what my colleagues are doing, how they're presenting themselves. And not necessarily like I'm going to do exactly. Alice and I were just talking about this with with book challenges. I'm not going to follow Alice's book. I'm going to learn how Alice came to her place with it and then go, okay, what is my own work? I had, blissfully, I grew up with four other siblings, and they clearly told me I was not the brightest one in the room. <laughs> Chris and I never have the problem of being the smartest in the room. No, right? never, yeah, never, 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 never. No one's ever accused me of being the smartest one never, in the room. Never been a problem for us. But because I was not the smartest, and I was probably the world's worst athlete, I learned a lot of discipline along the way, because I have to, comp I have to work out really hard to be average. And, and the same thing is with, the, with my work life. You know, I, I do, like Scott, you surround yourself by really great people. I mean, and, and we just joined, the Stanford just joined the Urban Library Council. So now I'm on phone calls with, like, Roosevelt Weeks from Austin and, you know, just Chris Brown from Chicago. And I don't have to say a word. I'm just, like Scott, I'm taking notes. What are they doing? And how am I going to take that information and turn it into something for Stanford? And I think, you know, Scott, you brought up a really good point. When you're in a room with other people and you think you're, you know, walking amongst giants, sometimes it's okay to just stop and listen because maybe you're going to learn, like you said, you're going to learn a lot more than, than by talking or trying to, in your head, compete with what's happening in the room. And sometimes saying less is more. I mean, it's, it, is a, it is human nature to compete. It is human nature to want to be the best but I think once you reach a leadership role you shouldn't be competing with anybody else you should be competing with who you were yesterday um, you know and how do you do that well you look at what your colleagues your peers and the people who work for you do really well I, I have staff that I learn from every time I meet with them my job is to pr provide guidance but also it's to learn about the aspect of the work that they do a little more deeply to understand their decision making and also turn around and help them come to decisions knowing what their strengths are. And I, I think that's just, you know, it's it's don't be competitive with anybody else but yourself because then you will really grow. And again, that, that imposter syndrome is really just in anything else, it's your brain telling you, okay, you need you need to learn more, you need to be better. And I think we need to turn that around. And I do think it has to do with the history of the profession and, you know, a lot of things that we know are wrong with the profession that date all the way back to Dewey and the way he treated women and his views of librarians and that males should be in leadership role and women should be librarians and all of those things. I do think it's born out of that patriarchy. And, and as a male leader, I need to work on that and recognize that. 
but I think as a field in general, we need to be like, enough is enough. And we need to kind of recognize that we're an information science field. When I introduce myself to people, they go, what do you do? I'm like, well, I'm in the field of information science. And they go, oh, well, that, what's that? I go, well, I'm a public librarian. In our job, and then I give my public librarian speech. Um, and I think we need to do that more. Well, you know, it's one thing when you, when you both were saying when you're meeting with your staff and, you know, you're trying to learn what they do. What's the, the quote-unquote secret sauce of somebody coming in, like let's say it's your IT guy saying we need to figure out, you know, we have to upgrade our servers, we need to move to cloud-based or, or something that's so technical that you're kind of like you're shaking, you know, nodding your head yes and going, I have no idea what you're talking about. And you still have to make a decision based upon that. Obviously, you're going to ask more questions, but how do you approach that in your own head? They're both smiling and trying to figure out how to answer this question. So, so what I would say, I should have be able to have some clue as to what they're saying. Right. So their monthly reports should be informing me on a regular basis, and I should be having regular conversations. So I may not know what's the best widget, but I have enough information, and they provided me with enough information so that I can make a decision. Uh, I know we were talking last night uh, about Capri and the app software. And I am not going to be able to make the decision that my reference librarian will, but I am the user. And I'm the one who started complaining about the app that we had, saying it's 11 o'clock at night and my app just crapped out. Sorry, can I say that online? Sure, yes, you can. <laughs> okay. And, and I, need to, I need a new book to read, right? So though I'm that consumer that can give that feedback. They can tell me what is the best way to go. And, and there's sometimes where I've disagreed with them and we've gone our own way, um, but it's an informed disagreement. And, 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 it's, and when you do, you have to give them some respect. Like, I, I understand why you want to go this way, but here's why we're going that way. And it may be something that's outside the realm of technology. It could be, uh, it could be fiscal. It could be a political decision that you can't necessarily say to them, well, you know, we do have this grant from Connecticut and we do have to spend this money a certain way. There's, I would say explaining the budget to people is probably one of the hardest things. The difference between bonded money and operating money. Um, we just had a conversation with our architect who actually is wonderful and listened to us and he said, can't we get rid of that awful mural? And I said, the city spent a lot of money buying that mural back from a California mogul and then restoring it. No, not for another 20, 30 years until we've all forgotten that we've done that. And that's a political decision on my part. His was an aesthetics decision. He got it, right? But he's probably right in the aesthetic decision. Right. I, I, used, to, I, I used to call it micromanagement from the bottom. So whenever I had a staff member who, you know, was sort of questioning, oh, why are you doing it this way? I would always say, well, you know, do I, do I ever go, hey, why did you purchase this particular book? And they're like, no, you're pretty good about letting us do collection development. I go, because I respect your expertise and know that's your responsibility. My responsibility is making sure the budget's spent correctly, making sure we're reporting out to the community and getting the community engaged. So it's, you do have to build a line of respect and you have to get your staff to understand, hey, these, I can, do, I, I can muddle through all of this, but this is where I'm really an expert and why I have the level of responsibility I have. And just know that I respect what you do and respect that, well, you may not agree with my decision 
because I know the politics. I don't know the nuanced part of purchasing an app. And I respect you and I trust you to help me make that decision. And everybody has a level of responsibility in the organization and that's born out of their level of expertise. And if everybody respects that, your library is going to function really, really well. And I, we don't always do things I agree with in Fairfield. And I understand that it's the wisdom of the group. My job is to pull out of the group the wisdom and get the decision. It's not to make the decision. And that's, that's hard. It's hard for people in leadership, I think. Yeah. In libraries, we struggle. We like, in libraries, we like command and control. And in reality, we need to have much flatter organizations with a lot more group decision making. When, when you were both talking about this, the one thing I was thinking about, too, was how do you manage, and Scott, it sounds like you've already kind of addressed this, but in terms of the morale of your staff, how do you make a decision and this has happened to all of us growing up, right? Or coming up in the field, maybe even working in another field before that, where the boss is just having a bad day and being grumpy, and then you internalize it, oh crap, my boss just yelled at me. Maybe it was just an expression of frustration, or maybe they are upset with you. So how do you temper that to a point where you're keeping in mind that you're about to lose it, but you're holding back for just that millisecond and saying, okay, I can't lose it, I have to figure out how to be professional, and I don't want to blow this person's doors off to the point where they leave my office crying. I actually did lose it. With one of my most trusted in the leadership team, the director of administrative services, and I snapped at her about something that had surprised me. And I went back to her the next day and I said, I was way out of line. I am sorry. I give you permission to tell me I am way out of line and you need to tell me when I'm wrong. That's that's the biggest thing you can do for me to make this successful is tell me when I'm wrong. And that's a scary thing. Yeah. It's a very scary thing to say to your supervisor or to your library director, you know, I think you're wrong on this one. You know, and maybe there's a more artful way than using the, the W word. Right. But, you know, maybe maybe we need to reevaluate, maybe we need to think think a little bit more through, maybe have further discussions. Yeah, and going on with what Scott was saying about respecting the people, so when we have a, a someone join the leadership team, my conversation with them, you're going to find your way, but you have to tell me when I am, I'm, I'm out of line or I'm misplaced. You know, I might think it's really great to do, you know, some type of children's program, and you're the children's specialist, and you're going to say, no, that's not the right way to go. That You'll find your way to be able to tell me that. And it's going to be whatever's comfortable for you. I have, my HR director tells me I'm wrong at least seven times a day, you know. But other people, you find their way. And, and that's just, a, it's part of learning how to grow into management is learning how to tell, have those difficult conversations and say, well, you, you think that's a great idea. <laughs> so this was something I was terrible at for a really long time. I mean, really... To the point where I was, you know, my staff just said, we like you, at a, at a previous library, we like you, but you're grumpy. Um, and I am, I am a grumpy Gus. Um, so I knew that was something I needed to work on. And I appreciated the staff who, like, pulled me aside and said, listen. And it's my mannerisms. I'm not a small guy. I've got a voice where I sound like I gargle with gravel. Like, I, 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 I get where my, my body language can be wrong. You know, I always say to people, one, you have to approach everything with empathy that's going up and going down. 
So in other words, as a leader, I have to approach things with empathy. I have to look at the environmental factors. Is, are they not feeling well? Do they have a sick kid at home? Is, are there things going on that I don't know about? Um, or things going on with work. They're not getting along with the person at the desk next to them. And that's feeding into their overall unhappiness with the organization. What is the organizational culture look like? Is there a history of organizational culture where it's been negative and you're not gonna change organizational culture in a leadership position for years? So you gotta factor all those things in. And you gotta, when you're, you know, when you're a peer leader, so you're at the early chain of leadership or a mid-level chain of responsibilities, you're a manager or a supervisor, you have to do the same for your director. He, the, he or she may have just had a terrible board meeting and they're not sure whether or not their contract's gonna get renewed. He or they, they may be, uh, they may be missing their kid's baseball game because they have an emergency at the library or there's a book challenge. So I think it's always good when you're reacting emotionally to go for a walk, to go out and not eat junk food or get a beer, do something healthier for that moment and say, hey, can we, can we come back to this? Can we talk about this tomorrow or later in the day? Can I think about this a little bit? It will go a long way because when you walk out of that office, that manager or that director, uh, maybe not the HR manager, um, <laughs> they will also get that moment to pause and say, hey, where was Chris in this situation? Where was I in this situation? And let's get the, not the emotion out of it, but that kind of high velocity emotion out of it so we can actually talk about it. Because in the end, you want what's best for the organization, everybody involved, and the library, and you're only going to do that when you take yourself out of it. So stop making, you know, I got to not make it about Scott. You know, and I am sure Alice makes it not about her. Sorry, I have a lot of, I think she's awesome. Um, so, so, you know, it's taking the you out of it and go, okay, now I'm going to approach this as the library director or as the manager. And, and it goes a long way, not just for the decision-making, the organization, it changes the culture within the organization, but you will, you will be much healthier. You will not have that, all of those physical spikes that you normally experience in those situations. You'll sleep better. I can't advocate walking them out and just walking around the building. It just clears you your head, right? It just yeah. clears your head. I, I, I usually walk to work and I usually walk between meetings and it's just, that's how, and people offer me rides. I like, I, no, I need my noodle time. Noodle time. Noodle time. I like Writing that, that one down. <laughs> Exercise does the same thing. Like go for a jog or do push-ups or something like that just to get it out. And yeah. go to your corners if you have some sort of disagreement and things like that. So, I, mean, I would love to know your your points on how do we bring out the passion in our profession, in our staff members. So, both both on the personal side and the professional side. So, we found that our staff members are passionate about things outside the library, which is great. And we can use some of those passions that they're really personal about inside the library to be passionate at work about. So, we have one particular staff member that that loves to build you know, dragonflies or loves to build things out of clothespins. Well, now we have programs about that, right? So, and that was something she did personally, you know, for her grandkids and things like that. Now she's doing it for the library as a program. And we're developing programs around her love of, of crafting. So. Our first makerspace 
librarian came about because she started talking about how she loved to make things. And we knew we needed to do something along this. And so at the time, I wasn't the um, CEO. I was uh, the director of public services, and I didn't have control over promotions. So I said, get her to do this work for about six months, and then I can start to turn this into some type of promotion plan. So it, it, that bringing their creativity in can often find that that propels them, you know, forward in the organization as well. Right now, I'm lucky enough that my programming librarian loves music as much as I do, and so we're, we're always plotting ways how we can do more music programming. And um, you know, he he sends me notes. Did you know Bob Mould's playing in Fairfield? You know that type of yeah, he is. When in October? Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I didn't know this. <laughs> Really? Yeah, and okay. here's some real trivia for you. Okay, so now, Alice, are you a Bob Mould or a Bob Mould and Husker Du fan? I'm a Husker Du fan. Oh, my God. You are now my favorite library. I was ever. on the bowling oh. team with Bob Mould, so now you know how old I am. But <laughs> Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. I In didn't think school. she could get cooler, but now I know she's cooler. Yeah, so yeah, so, we're, so now we're like plotting. How Because there's so much music talent in Connecticut, and yet... It stops at Fairfield. When you get to Stanford, you have to hop the train to New York to see anybody good. You know, so how, <laughs> so how do we get that down here to Stanford? So we, so I have somebody I'm plotting with. You take their passion and you bring it in. And it benefits you guys, right? It benefits yeah. the library and the community because they're going to do the work, love the work at work, and then go home and do even more work because it's their passion personally. Yeah. But this is where I'm gonna. This is where I'm gonna be a little bit of a stick in the mud on this. Make sure. I keep preaching this to the students I teach at SUNY, have something that's not library related in your life. Yes. Yes. And not kids. And, and maybe not, bring yeah, it in, maybe family. bring it in occasionally, but um, turn off the librarian. I say to my students, turn off the librarian. We can't. I mean, yeah. we're in that position. We're, we are paid to be kind of on. on all yeah. the time. Yeah. But for my younger staff who are, you know, this is their, their librarians, even managers, have something else to do, maybe occasionally bring it into the library, but be very careful to have that separate identity. I'm, I'm not a librarian. My profession is librarianship. That is my job. My identity is not. And I know a lot of people who that's their identity. And that's, you know, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to say that like it's a bad thing. But be, just be really careful. I mean, we've, Urban Librarians Unite, we did this great trauma study. We know that our staff are getting burnt out. It's exhausting. Um, I think we need to be careful about the way we identify ourselves, and we need to have something that we totally turn the librarian off when we're not in the building or doing outreach. So I think it's hard because it, you need that balance. Yeah. You need that balance of, okay, I want to get their passions into the life library i don't want them to make it their job because don't trust me don't make your hobby your job and also make sure that they're building that separation when they clock out they're building that separation there so they have some time where they're not being doing the library that's a great point because otherwise you'll get to the point where they're like i used to love doing this and then i started doing it at the library now i hate it it's yes. my job yeah I can't agree with you more. Actually, we were talking beforehand. I said I was in a unique situation where my predecessor dictated all of his emails. He never did them himself. The beauty of this 
is an email never left his office past six o'clock at night, right? And so I don't send emails past six o'clock. So my staff will not get a crying email in the middle, you know, saying, you know, don't do this until morning. Because you know they're going to... That's going to make them trigger them more. Yeah, that's going to make it worse. That's an awesome point. Chris, bring up what Doug said yesterday. So Doug, we had brought up the idea of how your internal voice reads an email, especially if it's from a supervisor or your director, and you're looking at it, and for me, for some strange reason, I'm reading it in the angriest voice possible, right? Because if I'm getting an email, something must be wrong, right? 10 o'clock at night, right? So Doug had said he prefaces, not in the ray, but in the beginning of the email, this is good news. (laughs) This is something great. And I guess, I don't know, what the, we should have asked him what the flip side was. Right. You're in big trouble. So, but like, in terms of he sets the tone before he even starts the email, you know, you know, this is good news. I have some interesting things to tell you. This is good. So it sets the tone. So it, for, it, if, you know, if we had that where I am, that, not that I'm saying we don't, but in one of those things where if I had that at, you know, in an email that I got, it would set my mind at ease. Okay, it's from my director and it's good news. Then I go, because you can take that two seconds, take that deep breath, and say, okay, now I can read this like it's an email from anybody. I, when I text my staff, and usually when it's a personal matter, you know, something's gone bad in their personal life, they've lost a family member, I now put in brackets, hey, thinking of you, sorry, blah, 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 blah. I always put in brackets, no need to respond. Do not feel pressured to respond. Because I know they're like, oh, God, now my boss is texting me. I got to text him. And it's like, no, I just want you to know I care. I know what's going on. You don't need to get into it with me. I gave an example. My, my assistant director could do a master class in being an assistant director. I went away on vacation. She, the Saturday before I came back to work, she just wrote out this very clear list of this is what you missed. This is probably what you're going to deal with. These are some things maybe you should be happy about. Some things you, it was just the best thing I could have come back to because in, instead of Monday morning walking to work like, oh God, what, what, what bathroom is going to be closed? What elevator is right. Why is that window broken? Exactly. Yeah, it's a, okay, I know what's going on. I feel like I'm caught up. But she wrote it in such a way and the fact that I got it, I didn't feel like Sunday I got to show up. Which is nice. So, I think there's sometimes, if, if there's bad news, it shouldn't be an email. It should be either an in-person visit or a phone call. So, phone and, and don't say, uh, when you have some time, I need to see you before you, when you come in. Yeah, because that was like, oh my God, is that, is that urgent or not? Um, I think the other thing, and emails are a FOI of, right? Freedom of Information Act. So don't put anything in the email that you don't want on the front page of the local paper. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So definitely that means no bad news. <laughs> and maybe have an alternate way of communicating that may not be a, a FOIL request. Right. Though as librarians, we should be good at FOIL. And we should, you know, we, we should really follow, you know, and, and where boards are a little different in Connecticut, they're a little surprised about the, when they get FOIL'd. It's like, oh, we have to, yes, we do. Um, so just, you know, not only be careful and maybe have some alternative communications, but remember it is important that the public gets to see your communication and also it shows them if you do it right and you've handled it professionally, it makes your organization look good. So again, yeah. you know, it's 
having those clearly matter-of-fact emails, and getting your staff used to the fact that, listen, I, I'm not the world's best writer. I am not going to write a paragraph. I wish I could communicate in bulleted text. And explaining that to my staff, because I did run into that. What's that for? Like, well, it was very terse. It was very short, so I thought you were angry. It's like, no, I'm just a terrible writer, and Grammarly wasn't working for me, so I just <laughs> shot it out. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, you, it is communication. you got to be good at it. And it's the set expectations. Yeah, yeah, because I think one of the biggest anxieties for people, middle management, or if you're, you know, an entry-level librarian or a clerk or a page and you get that email, and it's not to all staff and it's directed to you and your supervisor, you know, you, you have that, that, that feeling like, uh-oh. So, yeah, it, it's one of those things where you just have to be mindful too, right? Which yes. is kind of hard to do. Scott, we know you got to run, so thank you I so do, much. and I'm going to try to get you a really good guest. Yeah. So, okay. thanks. It was great to see you guys. Next yeah. time I'm visiting mom, I'll swing by. Absolutely. We'll get a coffee or I'll get a Coke and you guys get beers, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we swapped out guests. So we have Scott Braille from Derby. That's right. Scott. Hello. And Kate Byroad. Like Road, like the street from Cragen Library in Colchester. Yeah. So we were talking about dealing with mental health whether it's the employees or it's yourself. We had talked about imposter syndrome before. So we were just picking up on the, the topic with Alice and Scott about how you communicate with staff to not cause them anxiety. Mm. Uh, we, Brent, we mentioned, you know, that email that says, I'd like to see you in my office at 3 o'clock. One of oh, those I would things. never do that. Right. So <laughs> how do you manage keeping your staff happy, keeping them engaged, um, I guess. En- engaged right. and kind of lessening their anxiety of having to talk to the boss. Maybe a little passionate. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm the oldest of four girls. And like I learned all of my management stuff by being a big sister. Mm-hmm. You know, and my next younger sister is seven years younger and then 10 and then 17 years younger. Mm-hmm. So like I've been heard, I've been like dealing with people who have emotions and don't want to hear the things I have to say my entire life. You know, so by the time I became a director, I was like, okay, I know what to do. And it was like, you know, there's that standard stuff of if you have something difficult to say, you do it privately, you do it toward the end of the day so that if there are big feelings, we can just go home and have our big feelings, you know, on the transition home. Um, And, uh, you know, fortunately, I'm really lucky. I have good staff. I think the hardest thing in recent years is um, during COVID, I had a staff member who unexpectedly lost her brother, who is sort of her remaining member of her, you know, the fam- family of origin. Mm-hmm. And um, she just was really consumed with grief and became very unhappy. And, and, you know, there was anger, you know, there was just a lot of stuff. And, um, and actually what ended up happening was that she got another job and that gave her sort of the mental reset um, because I'm very close with her new boss, and she's happy and doing well. And you know, change of scenery, the change whole of thing. scenery really yeah. helped. But like, thank God that happened because not because I wanted to lose her, but because I think she just needed that reset because she was in this grief. But I gave her as much room as I could for that. So, well, you know, <clears throat> I try. I started in libraries as a part timer, so I try to harken back to those days of how people encouraged me. Uh, my mm-hmm. library leaders and uh, tried to, you know, see in me that there's potential and, and things that I could be doing 
you know, not just, you know, doing a desk shift. And so you, you, I've tried to give staff, and you don't always, you know, you might not always succeed. It's something that you're always trying for every day. Um, try to give them um, this feeling that they can lead from where they are, that they are often the first point of contact for people who come through the library. So they should understand everything that kind of I do about policy and about rules and about everything to make them feel equipped to have yeah. that under their belt so that they don't freeze if, if something is at them or that they don't feel prepared that they weren't told. And again, you may not always succeed in having that happen, but you, that's your goal is trying trying to do that for people. And then I think that makes people happier that, it, you know, I I've, I've saw potential in some people who are doing maybe one thing. And if I had a big project, um, I would ask them to help with it because then they felt really more of a part of, of what we're yeah. doing on a, 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 the mission of the library. Yeah. I try to grow all my people. Um, and then I'm in a small setting. I have 12 employees altogether. Um, so it's very possible for me to connect with every employee every single day that I work. Um, I may, occasionally I may go a week or two without seeing somebody because of whatever. But I'm, I generally have that ability to know what's going on in their life. Um, I have that ability to connect. I very rarely have to do the sort of all-staff email, ah, oh, this is the new rule. Like, I don't. I don't have to manage that way. Um, and uh, so, and, you know, we have staff meetings a few times a year. We can, like, talk things through. So I'm very lucky um, in that small setting. And I, But I've been in larger settings, and, you know, we've had different tools to have that same sort of level of communication. Um, and I think you have to have a good understanding of your setting and your staff. And, um, and you know, I'm... I'm a I'm an extrovert. I'm a I'm an ESFJ. So I just really want to hug everybody. You know, like even the people I don't like, I want to hug. You know, like I want to hug the bat out. Of, you know, like yeah. you know, sure, like, sure. You know, so it that's works. how you introduced yourself to us yesterday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm an extrovert. Put yeah. us on your shoulders. Yes, yeah. I think it's how you introduced yourself to me years ago. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hi, I'm the welcome extrovert. to CLA. Right, and we were excited. We're like, we got a guest. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, at least one. At, at least, least one. one. To, but to dovetail what you said there, Kate, I also have a small staff of like 12. 13. So it's it's um, um, you, and you know when you do this the full email to everybody, um, I, you, you know me, Kate. I there's always humor in my right. in my emails, so that I, I kind of infuse that that there's never the dressing down of the staff. There's there might be a rule yeah. that you need to impart to everybody, but also that you know what you can come to talk to me and like if you don't understand exactly what I'm saying or if you really want to talk about it let's continue the conversation so that it's not just this email right. the end edict of all time right. um, but that there's a reason behind maybe this rule right. had to be hey done. you know right. this terrible <clears throat> thing happened we accidentally right. insulted Mrs. Smith and, you know <laughs> you know because of that reason we never really thought about this particular situation so if this situation ever comes up again this is the rule right yeah. right right and you know it's interesting after speaking to Alice and Scott who are in bigger libraries yes yeah it's really interesting to juxtapose that again smaller libraries so I work in a in, in terms of Long Island a, a, a large library yeah and Bob I would call you what middle-range library yeah. yeah so it's really interesting to hear what it's like at a smaller library where you touch base with your employees every day that's yeah, yeah absolutely right and, yeah. and you're not just sitting going walking in sitting in your office and being in your office all day right, right. And I have friends who use slack at, yeah. at their bigger libraries and, you know, I thought about it for a half second. I have, like, three staff who there's no way they could handle that. There's no way they could handle that. And then it would just become this exclusive thing for the people who are techie. Right. And so I was like, no, I'm just going to keep on managing by walk, walking around, talking to people, checking in. 
Yeah. We had, um, even in a small library, we used Slack, but we had started with a blog where you had to check every day. And yeah. yes, there was a learning curve. There was a literacy curve of it uh, and everything, but people got to it and we helped them so that nobody felt left out. The whole staff felt that they could do it. And so then we moved to Slack and then you could share Canva documents. You could, you could share whatever you wanted to share. And I think people felt more connected and then they also felt more prepared for their day that the news of the day was right in front of them, that Mrs. Johnson's coming in today with her whatever. And so that you knew that um, what was happening and you weren't un, uh, unaware is that something. And people, that's yeah. usually where staff get frozen when something is really happening at them that they weren't expecting. Right. Yeah, I just want to ask the opposite question. So speak to people that are listening to the podcast that are working in a somewhat toxic environment that don't feel like they can that don't feel yeah. like they're heard right and, or even middle management that their directors are just like bang 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 and i'm not going to listen you know this is the law how do they you know? yeah so you know, i worked i worked yeah i worked years ago in a in a library where the director was kind of emotionally unintelligent really good like vision and execution person, but just like emotionally unintelligent. And then the assistant director was just like a bitterly unhappy person. And I was fairly new. I was in my mid twenties. I had just come from another library where everybody loved Kate. And then I went to this new place where it was like piranhas every day. And um, I learned that if, if I'd gotten feedback from my ultimate boss, the director that was like negative, like I learned that I could go into her office, ask her to put her phone on her to forward to voicemail, and you know close the door and like talk it through because she was emotionally unintelligent, but I could talk to her, and I learned to bypass this toxic person. Mm-hmm. But it was really really hard, and I got a lot of migraines. <laughs> did the, did the uh, toxic person come down harder on you? Was there any retribution after that? She was. She was. No, no. Okay, she didn't good. know what I was doing. She was just like. She was just like a bitterly unhappy person. Because you wouldn't think, but I mean, public libraries have bad morale sometimes too. And yeah. working in that environment, sure. showing up in that environment, and and trudging through the day instead of enjoying the work, mm-hmm. and then leaving and having mm-hmm. a great weekend. Some of these staff members just. It's it's literally just difficult to turn the, yeah. turn the doorknob come into work yeah I agree I, I'm a theater guy so I I, I always base uh, uh, this I think theater uh, is the best preparation well, it, for it, a library I agree and, <laughs> but yeah. there's a, an extra um, and I try to live this and it may not happen every day certainly because it's a kind of a dream but there was a wonderful theater director named uh, Tyrone Guthrie and he, there's a theater in Minnesota named for him and he was a wonderful theater director that met, not as famous as others but one of his philosophies was to make each rehearsal so exciting and so rewarding and so fun that the actors couldn't wait to come to the next rehearsal. And you want to try to instill that as your working environment. You shouldn't be in a place where, especially when the pay isn't wonderful, I have part-time people, you know, making minimum wage, you know, you, you, it, ha- it can't be a place, and again, we, it may not happen every day. <laughs> there may be problems. I'm not going to say that there aren't. But you're striving to make this a place that we are happy to work so that that translates to what we're doing for the patrons. Yes. So that, you're, that you don't have to screw on a smile. You, you already have a smile on because it was fun to come to work today. I love that. Um, and love that. so, yeah. um, you know, that's how I, when I'm a director, that's and what I do for nice theater. And people were nice to you. Yeah. Right. And, 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 then, and then, you know, we, we all have that. We're, we're, we're facing situations where patrons might be angry or that they're challenging or whatever 
whatever. But if we don't rise to that, if we already have a calm level of, of, a, of a contentment of where we're working in our operation, that's where we meet them. That's where we are coming from. And so instead of us easily going, oh, I agree, I think that when we do this, the books should all be taken off the shelves. There's no reason to, for us to come to that. We, we should meet it as a, a unified thing that um, the library is the safe in, place for everybody in that uh, we we believe that because we see it every day and we, we want to do that and again you know maybe it's Pollyanna but um, and it may not always work but I, you know we're not we're not <laughs> curing cancer and we're not really you know building a highway um, dying you know, on the library science right uh, usually <laughs> um, <laughs> unless it's really rare the level of the level of upsetness must have a there must be a a, a bar there must right. be a, a an equilibrium to it i think yeah i want to say one last thing about that toxic workplace sure um i worked there three years and about a year and a half in we had a all state uh, the library was closed to the public as a library because of the, it was the sole um, uh, voting location in the town mm. at the time. And so it was our staff development day, and our boss brought in a um, facilitator for the usual kind of you know team-building exercises. And what was really interesting is that this toxic assistant director, at one point, about halfway through the day, she's like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm not going to do this. This is terrible. What a, a waste of, of our time. Just like that. Kate, can I direct you in a play? That was excellent. That was, that was a wonderful. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. yeah. And she was, uh, and she, and she walked out. She mm -hmm. walked out. Wow. But the thing is, all the rest of us were earnestly trying to do the things. And one of the things that was happening was that she had a habit of being very two-faced with other members of the staff. And I think that kind of dropped the scales from other people's eyes. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, they sort of like, oh, maybe X isn't mm -hmm. always right about Y. Because there were definitely people on that staff who were in her favor, and there were people who were not in her favor. And that's what, that's what sort of happened there. But I have always striven that we can, you know, everybody greets each other when we come in. Mm. That, yeah, you know, that's we important. are we are solicitous, you know, of your family, of your health, you know, that kind of thing, without, you know, getting in people's business, but just, you know. And then I, I have to say, um, has your library gone fine free? Yes, we're fine free. You're mm -hmm. fine free. Mm -hmm. So I came to my library. My library, this this precedes me. We have the jar. And the jar has a little rhyme. If you have an overdue, what you pay is up to you. And it doesn't eliminate fines, but it makes the fine question. Well, you know what we found? We have that little uh, pay pay it forward thing. Yeah. And that little pay it forward thing used to have maybe a three or four dimes in it. And that's all it had for people doing copies. It has so much money in it right now that people, because there aren't fines, that people are willingly giving those quarters and giving those things. That yeah. that thing... I think right. until I retire, no one ever has to pay for a copy again. No, it's really, it's really been <laughs> not that much. But you know what? It's, it's really encouraging. You see, I looked at it the other day before I actually came to the conferences, and I said to my head of circus, I said, is that, what is that? She goes, well, that's the pay it forward money. I said, oh, my gosh. You're probably it's, collecting more money now yeah, because it, you've it, alleviated the It's a the really yeah, positive true. thing because that also shows how much people care about the library that you are doing. Yeah. You're putting your best yeah. foot forward. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. And then the thing that I've discovered, because this is the first library I came to where there was sort of a like fine light environment, um, that my staff aren't burned out on customer service because right. they recognize that one patron who's having a horrible day and treats them horribly, mm -hmm. 
as that one patron who's having a horrible day and treating them horribly. And then they move along they, because my staff is not arguing with people all day long about 47 cent fines, yep, right. which was when I was the head of circulation at a large large you know, library serving a community of 52,000. Like right. that was just the day of my staff right. that worked under me all day long with the fine conversation right. and people well, took it, feel actually, judged by the, by the fines. I took it one step further. I, also, when people do a replacement card, it's normally a dollar to replace the card. It's a free library card. What part of that sentence is, I didn't understand that. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme that <laughs> they're losing <laughs> library cards and pay. I mean, it's so ridiculous. So I just thought, well, okay, that's wave two. If you lose your library card, I'm not charging a dollar for something that costs the library six cents to have it printed. Right. So um, it just didn't make any sense to me. Um, and so, you know, that, that also, we've had people say, do you know that that means my, I, I'm in uh, Derby, Connecticut, and the poverty rate is 13%. And so it, it, it makes a big, a dollar can make a huge difference of what people can do that day. And they're not going to um, spend it on a library card. That's right. right yeah. Exactly right. But now they can have access to the computer and whatever. But we also waive that. Even if they just have a guest pass, they have access to the computer and whatever. So, But the library card can give them so much more, and we want to have them have that for free for everyone that's our whole, that's the whole motto right right and 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 the one of the big barriers to library use that i've seen over the years is um you know people who are struggling with life in many different dimensions they're not going to be able to get their books in on time and then all of yeah. a sudden it's the scariest thing in the world and i'll tell you something i have mom friends and we're all like middle class college educated like you know running our lives pretty well kind of people and i would get a friend and like one of my mom friends would call me up and be like, kate i returned books late i have a big fine or i have this book that's way overdue and i'm like just go put it in the book drop Right. Just go put it in the book drop. And right, and then next, and can you imagine the overwhelmed mother who doesn't have those means? means. Who's yeah? Yes, and then I'd look at their account and be like, it was less than a latte. <laughs> right, less than right. a latte. But my friends were so because fines are tied up with judgment. So when you think about the mm. mental health of the community, yep. you know, if you feel like you're going to be judged by yes. the ladies at the library for the, with that. 15 cent fine. You're not going back in. You're yeah. not going back in. Because of the anxiety involved. Because of the anxiety. It's not right. the actual um, dollar amount. It's the, oh my God. It's Here's the another shame. thing I did wrong. The shame. Right. The, the, you know, I have sinned. And, you know, and, ha you know yeah. And, you and people still ask. And, and we just politely say, no, there are, just don't, there are no fines. Yes, if someone destroys a book, we do they don't have to pay for that. That's a little bit of a yeah. different issue. But, right. but you do. Lose the book um, forever, you pay for yeah, it. Yeah, it's a little different. But, yeah. um, but you're right, to go back to the mental wellness, it's also mental wellness for your staff. You're not putting them in the line of fire of someone who may ha have any means or is upset that, or fights or argues with it, and it turns into an argument that never needed to happen in the first place. We just so thrill that you gave the book back. Right. That's the not, but that's the last thing somebody needs if they're down on their luck and, right, doesn't, right. and they're coming and you're going to, I owe a dollar, I can't deal with it. You know, but, but it, yeah. it actually, it, it, you're right, but it also translates all social bounds. Like you're saying, it could also be the, the person who has more means. It, the, you're just w waving out anxiety in a, in, a, in a place that should have no anxiety. It should be the right. place where you can find information without being You can find joy. You can have joy. Scott. See, there you go. Joy. Oh, joy. <laughs> and it's funny because as we're talking about this, I'm remembering, Bob, 10 years ago, libraries were putting people in collections. That's, well, I, I, there are some who still I, do. I, I worked. I did that. 
I, at a, the, a previous library, that was part of my job was sending people to collections. And so what I did is I wrote a letter. I created a letter of my own before, and I said, well, can we do a step before we send them to collections? Um, it had to be over $50 or whatever it was. I would send the letter, hey, you know, you may not realize this, but you have this book out and this book out and this book out. Could you just check your shelves and just check your thing? And if you bring it back, it'll just be like the, the little $3, whatever it was, fine at the time. Yeah. And, um, and we had like a 70% success rate, but people brought them back without having to go to collections. Because you they, made it easier for they, them to yeah, identify and no, them. and I put no shame right. in the letter, and Wonderful. I just said, if you just bring it back to the children's department, it'll be fine. And, you know, it really helped people to really embrace the library Isn't again, great? you know, so. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, because again, it's, it becomes this, you know, oh, this fear, and like the library should never be about fear. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Fear that you're going to be shushed, Oh, yeah, oh, geez, fear of yeah. no, being told no, right? You know, fear we that you're going to have to come up with a twenty dollar bill. You right. Know? Mm -hmm. We have a, we have some quiet space in our life, but because people do study there, and, that, and the, we totally get that. But um, it's a place of activity. It's a place of community. It's a place where you shouldn't feel like you can't talk. You know. Right. So um, you know that's you know you're yeah. kind of well, always. It, and it's you. funny too because the stereotype when we talk about stereotype here all the time, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. it's a it's a woman with chains chains on her yeah. glasses she's wearing <laughs> pearls her hair's up and all she does and she has the cat's eye glasses yeah and she's shushing people yeah and it's always the new york state lottery had a, a scratch off commercial right and it, and was, it was in a that. library he said i won and the librarian was like Shh. Yeah, right. yeah i know, oh, I, know. I, I actually crazy. tweeted them and told them how horrible it was. i was i was really upset my hometown library here in connecticut uh where i my family moved there when i was 11 and i still live there much to my own shock um, they had a big renovation in addition, and um, they created these um, book drop slots as you entered the children's department, and it was incorporated into a mural, mm. and the center figure of the mural was an old lady with, you know, you know, white hair piled up on her head and the little half glasses, and she was, like, reading to the children. I mean, she looked happy and jolly and everything. I was like, really? Mm. Yeah. This is what we're going with. And you know, this we is have, what we're going with. We have that also when we we're do. dealing with uh, government, when we're dealing with mayors or first elect people or whatever, they have this image. So when I come in, and for those of you who are on podcast, you can't say, you know, I'm kind of this fun guy, you know. So He's they're, a they're, guy. Uh, there's, but they're He's not expecting <laughs> that to be their head librarian because I'm the director of the library. And so the, there's a new relationship. And not saying the, the, the women before me, I'm the first male director of this library in the history of it, which is kind of surprising for me because it was started in 1902 when usually directors were men. Um, but, um, uh, but there, and I'm not saying anything about that men or women. I'm not trying to make any distinction. Dynamic. I'm not trying to dig a ditch here. But what I'm, but um, you can just, even anybody can bring this new uh, thing to the government that you're dealing with that you're not a shushy librarian because that's the first thing they're going to think of because that's who they thought of when they were a little boy or a little girl who when they were now now they're in power and that's the image that they have because they probably haven't been to a, they might have been to a library since they were five or ten now your job is to say you know what the library needs good funding the library is part of your community it is yours it is your library and, and I'm here to facilitate that for you. Um, and it has nothing to do with shushing. And it has no, nothing to it has everything to do with programming. And it has everything to do with uh, knowledge. And resources and, and resources And, that's exactly. right. mm -hmm. and electronic right. So you, 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 that's what our uh, kind of uh, a new mission is. And, and you wouldn't think, OK, that's an old 
stereotype, but believe me, it hangs on like like it's got tether hooks onto it. So um, you know, so almost every day you have to do that. And if you have a new person, if someone gets newly elected, you might have to do the whole thing all over again. Yeah. How long have we talked about that, Chris? The culture of no. Oh, culture and, of and no. It's still yes. not dead in no. so many places, and it's yeah. just it's it's so. I had to wait for some staff turnover um, mm. because I didn't have a culture of no. But I remember I was here at a conference, and one of one of my colleagues, you know, was saying, "Oh, you have to say yes to your staff. You have to say yes to your staff." I'm like. I wish my staff would ask me something, right. anything. Well, that's, that's the <laughs> culture, anything. too, to not ask any questions. To that's right. That's questions. absolutely right. Yep. And yep. it took a few years, well, and it took some change, and then know, now I can say yes all the time. I just wonderful. did a, a, And when I say a, no, it's very rare. A leadership um, a seminar last uh, week from uh, uh, NELS, which is the New England Library Leadership Association, and, and someone said, instead of asking, does anybody have any questions, you can ask what questions do you have? It just frames it a little bit differently, and believe it or not, the, the, then people start asking you well, questions. It's safe it, to ask a question. It's safe right? to ask exactly. a question. Yeah. Do you have any questions? Just sound like I'm. I'm gonna give you like right. 15 seconds, and that's all. And nobody wants to be the person to ask the yeah. question because right. everybody else just goes, "Oh, now this meeting's gonna what take forever." What questions yeah. do you have? Sounds right. like you got a bag of questions out there, and I'm ready for them. Right. You know, that's it's great. like I'm a trivia hound, and you just ask away. Yeah. Um, and so that little turn of a phrase, I'm gonna keep that with me for the rest of my life because it, yeah. it opens that open-ended conversation that you can really have yeah well this has been amazing thank you we are wrapping this up our, our coverage of the Connecticut Library Association conference we want to thank everybody who's come on including Kate and Scott and Scott and Alice and Doug, Doug. Doug was great it was uh, and can I say on behalf of the CLA I'm the conference co-chair we were uh, we were just so thrilled that you guys said yes to this. It was a, I have to say, it was kind of my idea to tell <laughs> you guys. But we appreciate and, that. And, and I, I just thought this would be just a, a great a way to connect uh, for you guys to us and, and, and us uh, to you. So it, it's been thrilling, and uh, we, we can't wait to hear them when, when they get edited and out there and all that good stuff. <laughs> I know that's the next part of the process. But, you know, th this conference was all about connection and was all about uh, wellness and trying to really find our footing again, you know? And we talked about that the other day, you, you know? About morale and other things. Exactly. Sure. And, yeah. and I, 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 maybe I'm speaking too soon. It's been a soon. great conference. Thank you, Kate. Maybe conference. I'm speaking too soon, but I have this positive vibe of this conference. And, yeah. um, and so, it, you know, I, I just thank you enough for, for being part of it. I thought really you were not speaking too soon because Chris and I were talking yesterday and all day today about how well this conference was run. Yes. How many absolutely. resources you had, how many programs you had. It was just incredible. I'm trying to take a <laughs> I'm trying just to take a selfie. Selfie while the podcast is happening. <laughs> My daughter would only make fun of me. Right. But I mean we've been to hundreds of conferences all over the globe and this conference was one of the most well prepared, with the most oh, resources, gosh. with the most programming, relevant programming, not like the same old, same old, yeah. but relevant programming. Try. And and Chris and I just enjoyed the flow and how you set it up and how you ran it. And how uh, laid back amazing. it is. And how laid back it is. Yeah. That was the idea that we have a, we had a game room that people were using all day. Today we had a sensory room that people were using all day. Um, we were told um, by the, the, 
other people who were planning it, that we had more speakers than they've ever had at a CLA conference before, and, and yet we were yeah. still under budget. So that you know that was what we wanted to do to have just this variety of way, and it's still going on. It's going on before we did not just peter out and like oh we can just go home now. We got really awesome things in the last session, you know. Right. So um, we just wanted to make it worth people's time for the day, and um, so yeah, I certainly appreciate all that time. feedback. Yeah. yeah, certainly worth a long time. Thank you. Yeah, so thanks for having having us here, and and thanks for coming on today. Thank you. We have come to the end of another episode of The Library Pros, and we thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments on this or any episode, click on the Contact Us form on our website, thelibrarypros.com. Visit us on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. Don't forget to tell a friend or colleague and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to our podcasting engineer, Dean Meyer. Remember, the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob and are not those of the Sachem Public Library, the MS Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. See you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachem Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.